A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the White Lotus Podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to your Italian dream vacation. I'm John. And I'm David, and this is our coverage of the season finale of White Lotus Season 2, Episode 7, Arrivederci. How was that? That was great, David. Thank I mean, you. Come on. For each episode, we choose a couple of light research topics to discuss to provide some extra context for what we're seeing on screen. Today, I'm going to talk about a little bit about Mount Etna, and John is going to cover some of the clues that we have been seeing in preceding episodes to set us up for this finale. Then we'll move to a scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode, followed by our Deadpool conversations, a report from our chief Italian correspondent, Marta, and listener feedback. A reminder, you can send us your feedback to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com, and we'll get to those emails for our season wrap-up podcast, which will drop next Wednesday, the 21st. So send in your emails right away, please. If you want to keep talking White Lotus with us, join us over at the Bald Move Discord. Link in the show notes and at baldmove.com. We've got a well-moderated server and a dedicated channel set up for White Lotus. Each episode is siloed so you can join the conversations at any time without fear of spoilers. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you can get ad-free versions, early access, and more. At the end of the episode today, we'll have our Patreon shoutouts, along with our program notes for what's coming up on the Bald Move Network, as well as the remainder of our December Lorehounds schedule. Of course, you can get our ad-supported podcast on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice. Lastly, we're going to be talking about some mature and sensitive topics. We try to do so respectfully, but any feedback is always appreciated. You can send those to whitelotus at thelorehounds.com. Okay, David, one more rendezvous into the hotel lobby. John, I really want to implore you to enjoy the Ionian Sea while you can. You know, I have a, <laughs> I have a friend... We gotta get the fuck out of here. I have a friend with a tiny dinghy who would be more than happy to motor you around. Oh my God. Does he have a tiny dinghy? I thought he had a large one, according <laughs> well, to Well, his him. dinghy was tiny, but he, had, he was well but endowed. But his dinghy was big. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, it was... It was uh, as soon as she opened the bag... I was like, oh, wow, this is definitely real now. Right. This is not just Tanya going nuts. This is a real murder for money plot. So I take it you enjoyed the episode. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I thought that this season was, I'm, I'm, this is the only season 
wrap-up thing I'm going to say right now because we're doing that next week, but I thought that this season wrapped up better than the first season. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I am still processing it a little bit. I think if I look too closely, there's some silly things that could sort of ruin my experience. So certain little plot points that don't line up. But you know what? I'd rather kind of lean back a little bit and just enjoy where Mike White took us this season. I was very entertained the entire season. And I think one of the things that gave me that enjoyment was that, (laughs) I mean, we've been laying down theories. The internet has been putting out theories all along. And there is absolutely no way to predict. I mean, people could find some clues and make some hypotheses, but there was really no way to predict where our characters were going to end up at the end of this. And that was delightful because there was no way at the beginning of this that I could have ever said where Ethan and Harper are going to be or what's going to happen with Valentina. And that was joyous because I was in the moment. I wasn't, like, every clue or expectation or trope wasn't just being handed to me at every turn of the plot, but I was genuinely surprised, and that really felt entertaining. You know, I think that this show is unique in American TV because it almost goes the British route, Uh whereas I've seen that British shows and even in books, they're not afraid to give you a bleak ending, right? Right, They're not afraid to leave you like, huh. That was depressing. And Mike White is like, yeah, you saw season one. That wasn't too happy of an ending either. Mm-hmm. We're doing it again, guys. We're, right. not, we're not wrapping everybody's arcs up in a nice little bow, in a nice package. This is the real world, baby. And the real world doesn't resolve at the end of your vacation. Did you ever see Train to Busan? No. Okay. If you want to talk about like a not happy ending, a not Hollywood film... Where everybody, you know, where they, where the hero triumphs, et cetera, et cetera. That, <laughs> that movie, ooh, that's a gut punch, but it was so good. And I really, I'm really enjoying this year of television. I think we're going to do a, on our Patreon, on our um, second breakfast, which is a Patreon exclusive normally, but we're going to release it publicly this year, kind of as a Christmas present on the 25th. Um, we're going to do some top 10 year in review type of stuff. And I have to say that, White Lotus is falling into for me one of the you know the best of category because Mike White wasn't willing to do the tropey stuff. Right. He took it where he wanted to take it and he took it to places that are more real, more authentic. Sure. And you know we're going to talk more next week for our season wrap up. So I mean I I think I'll definitely have some more thoughts. I'll expand on some of more of those thoughts next week when we have that conversation. But I think there's some really interesting stuff that Mike White did in this season. And I know some people are a little dissatisfied, but I think that's because our palate has been so spoiled by, you know, hack chefs, half right hack writers who've just been we've just been, you know, feeding a slop. And when we get something really good, it's all almost hard to tell sometimes how good it actually is. Well, I think that I, I think of Kurt Vonnegut's Shapes of Stories, uh-huh. which uh, if we ever put out this Slaughterhouse Five recording that we've been working on forever, my uh-huh. my friend and I, uh, you'll hear us talk about that. Which is he talks about how American literature, Western literature, whatever you want to call it, it goes by this set of story arcs. Yes, and the most popular one in the world is the Cinderella story, oh. which is you start low. 
you go high, you fall down really hard, and then you get higher than you were before. Right, right. And Mike White's like, no, you're going to fall down hard and stay there. <laughs> you're not getting back up, guys. Right, right. And I, I think that we're just not used to that as American viewers. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's where I feel like this year in television, we've had some things that have not gone that route. And I like it. And I'm here for it. And I'm so glad I can podcast about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So speaking of podcasting about it, what do you say we get into our research topics? That sounds like a good plan. So I noticed in this episode, we got a lot of <laughs> video of Mount Etna erupting a whole bunch. And I thought it was both really funny, both from a psychological standpoint of all of this repressed emotion that was starting to come out and resolve. As well as the sexual tension, you know, and like waves crashing, volcanoes explode, you know, all of those sort of um, silly uh, analogies. And I was like, huh. So I wanted to do a little bit on Mount Etna. Uh, apparently, Italy has three active volcanoes, Vesuvius, Etna, and Stromboli, which is out in the ocean between mainland Italy and, uh, and the island of Sicily. Stromboli is delicious. It is delicious. Um, apparently in 2021, it erupted so much that it added a hundred feet to its height, its overall height. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's that active. It's a strato volcano. Not that we didn't get enough pyroclastism in the, the rings of power. This I year. don't ever want to hear that word again. <laughs> don't even, don't even speak. I, to me. Yeah. I, I was, I, I was goading you intentionally there. I apologize. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean to you. Um, but the, yeah, it's a stratovolcano, so it keeps erupting, and sh you know, it's it's not a f shield volcano. It's like something like a shield volcano, where it just it keeps flowing and building and flowing and building. And so, from a Greek mythology standpoint, it's where um, the monster, the I, I'm not sure how they actually categorize him. He's not a giant, and he's not one of the titans, but uh, this creature called Typhon. Uh, who is this huge, monstrous, serpent-like creature, super deadly, super chaotic, and, and mean-spirited. Standard issue Greek, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And Zeus defeated uh, Typhon, and that's part of Zeus's, uh, Zeus's uh, rise to becoming the king of the, you know, the gods. And uh, apparently, you know, in one part of the mythology, Typhon is buried underneath um, what is now Mount Etna. And then uh, I found some other strange references, and I want to be careful here, because I've gotten in trouble before from just reading things unchecked on the internet, <laughs> that there's some connection to Mount Etna and Arthurian mythology, and like there was some Norman conquest of Sicily to some degree. Okay. Yeah, I, I, this was something I had no idea. And then that this... Um, that there might actually be some connectivity with oh, what's Arthur's half sister's name? Lefay? Morgan Morgana Lefay? Maybe, yeah, I think so. It's been a while since I've I've done any Arthurian reading. Um anyway, so I thought that was an interesting uh connection just from a, a random uh a factoid uh position. But yeah, I just loved the fact and I think Mike White from what we're hearing in, in reading in articles and hearing in, in uh, season follow-up interviews that he's doing, there was a lot of the production of the show that was spontaneous. So he had an original idea. They went to this hotel. 
They're like, oh, wow. And then it inspired him into a different direction. So he built around that. And then they saw the Testa di Moro heads. And they're like, oh, cool. Can we incorporate that? And then all the paintings and all the locations that they were at. And then so having Mount Etna there (laughs) erupting sort of on the regular um, was a great um, additional device to give us this sense of something coming to fruition. or, or something that was maybe repressed and is now released. And so I just felt that that was a really great additional backdrop element that we got. It was like bone, it was like a, a, a super bonus piece of uh, material for the show. So I just thought it was really cool. And I get to learn a little bit more about Etna there. Cool. Cool. That's, uh, that's really cool. Cause when I was watching the episode, I saw the volcano in the background and I was curious. I yeah. said, you know, I, what is that? Why is that there? Is that a dangerous thing? Like, yeah, you don't even know. Exactly. And people live there, you know, and they're, they're all around all the time. There's uh, apparently because of the lava and the, you know, and the rainfall patterns and stuff makes for very fertile ground, great for growing grapes and, and other things. But yeah, um, even my uh, in-laws, you know, they were, you know, they love going to Italy and they used to talk about how like, yeah, you just be there and suddenly like, you know, <laughs> Etna would be erupting and, and, kind of go off for a little while and then settle down again and yeah just crazy yeah totally wow all right so you have done some digging for us in the annals of the episodes and uh have brought new shit to light well i don't want to go through every single clue we ever got because i feel like we've harped on them quite a bit yeah but here's a few here's the one that actually did come true which was the car explosion uh-huh. from the, the car explosion scene that the DeGrasso's observed with Portia. Right. When they were at the um, Godfather Museum uh, down yeah. the road from the hotel. Yeah. So that shirt that the person, in, that the dummy in the car uh-huh. was wearing was the same shirt that Tanya was wearing. No way. The day she died. <laughs> Sneaky. Sneaky. So... As soon as she had that shirt on, Mike White's like, oh, I'm telling you what's about to happen. Right. But at the same time, so many of the other clues amounted to nothing. Yes. They were just kind of coloring it with mythology. And that's fine. Yeah. It's just that they didn't really tell us who was going to die. Like, so we have the oranges behind Dominic. Yes. Which is a thing from The Godfather, right? right. Is and Again, you're the Godfather expert, not me. But <laughs> from, from my understanding, if there's oranges behind or in proximity to a character, they're going to die soon. Dominic has survived the series. So yes. congratulations, you have thwarted the Godfather gods. Mike White is uh, an icono- iconoclast. He's breaking shit left and right. It's true. It's true. He doesn't need your rules, but he's having fun with them anyway. <laughs> yep. Um, most of the Greek illusions didn't really mean much either. They were no. just like, yeah, uh, the swans on Portia. I think that, you know, it's a thing with Lita and the swan, but it's not really taken to its end. Um, even the name Daphne, again, just sort of allusions to Greek mythology. And that's OK, but didn't really do much. One of the things that Mike White pointed out was there the whole time was Tanya's talking about death all season. Yes. She's talking about, like, I wonder if anybody's ever jumped. Yep, I haven't yep. experienced death. All this kind of stuff. Um, the negative fortune teller, which, again, didn't amount to much as far as, like, the actual thing she was saying, but the whole talking about death with Tanya. So I think that's where Mike White was trying to play with our expectations. Right, right. And it was actually, in my opinion, genius to kill Tanya in the finale because mm-hmm. no one expected it right. because they were like, Okay, she's the only character to come from season one. This is going to be a running gag with Jennifer Coolidge. 
and they're just not going to lose her. And, you know, jokes on all of us. And that's where we can evaluate the show on different terms because he didn't do the simple thing. He didn't do the tropey thing. He didn't do the thing we were all expecting. He did something that made sense for the character, yes. but did not fit the predestined story arc. That's right. Well, we can get into it more when we get into the scene breakdown. All right. Let's get into that scene breakdown now, David. Okay, great. So uh, again, like last week, I did the outlining on a scene-by-scene basis rather than the character basis. It was a little bit easier, again, to follow the scenes rather than the, the groupings of characters. Sounds good to me. So we start with Ethan. Uh, he wakes up and hallucinates that Harper and Cameron are having sex in the bed next to him. This dude was going through it. <laughs> His incel energy I mean, was really getting the best of him, wasn't it? Did I win that one, too? Does that count? He's a rehabilitated incel? Kinda. He did go, like, yell at his wife a lot and then literally try to kill somebody else yeah. because he yeah. thought that his manhood was at stake. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe not incel, but he certainly got quite a lot of toxic masculinity in him. Right. Which, you know, we can look at potentially, I mean, from what little clues we have, you know, his, his teenage years were probably a bit rough. And he probably had a lot of I mean, and a lot of that came out in that in that fight scene. But I think, um, you know, for him to be where he is now is is quite a journey, quite an arc. And um, I think we can see some of his psychological weakness, some of the stuff that he hasn't dealt with and processed yet, as a sort of a, the source for his anxiety and the intensity of his hallucinations. Because in that bedroom scene, you know, when this in this episode opens up. Like, he is having a very vivid, you know, uh, imagination there of what's happening, what could be happening next to him. Right. And I think that throughout this whole uh, set of scenes with Ethan and Harper, you can see that he views her more as almost a possession Mm. than he does as a partner, because he's less concerned about how she's feeling, how they're feeling about each other, than he is on, did you touch my property? Right. Interesting. And that's just not great. Right. Not great to see. Daph- so over in the other room, Daphne talks to their kids, and she calls Cameron in from the bathroom to come say goodnight to them. Cameron knows. Has to, right? That look said it all. He's like, yeah, those aren't my kids. That's why it, it actually explains why in the first episode, Daphne goes, oh, let's FaceTime the kids again. And Cameron's like, no. Right. Don't uh, really care. Yeah, yeah. I think that they seeded that early. Yeah. Interesting. The face acting in this whole season, but in this episode in particular, that murderous, that borderline murderous rage that uh, he has to suppress as he turns away. And if you pause it a couple of times in that, you can see just under the surface, like, ugh, like he could be a really scary dude, I think, <laughs> when, you know, yeah. when he's like pulling his Mount Etna and he's erupting, like that is bad news. <laughs> I think he gave some Homelander energy. Oh, really? You know, just Homelander. like this, this <laughs> uh, rage, uh-huh. and then just just smiling, smiling so brightly, but actually being like a fire inside. Yeah, yeah. And he does it. He tamps it down. He puts on the face and he jumps in. Hey, buddy, you know how you doing? Hey, like, Blondie. Oof. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. All right, we jump over into Albie and Lucia's room, and Albie tells her that he wants to help her. 
And then he tries out some rough sounding Italian phrases that he's been learning. I think, I don't know, I, I think he's gotten a little bit better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got the phrases. Yeah. Um, I, it's not going to help him keep Lucia, but he's, no. he's trying, I guess. Yeah. So sweet little scene that uh, sets us up for some stuff later on down. Then we uh, hop over to um, Dominic, who is looking longingly at photos of his family. So again, just another little quick setup scene. Yeah, they really uh, wanted to milk his loneliness Yeah, so that you could see where his head's at when he talks to Albie later. Do you think Michael Imperioli was underutilized in this uh, season of television? I think that anybody could have played this role, to be honest with you. Okay. I don't. I, I do think that he was underutilized. Yeah. I mean, I haven't really seen much of The Soprano, so I don't know really what he's capable of. But from what I've seen in this, he just didn't do a lot of acting. Yeah, it was a pretty flat performance on a pretty straight character. Um, I mean, we can talk about it more in the season wrap-up about what the DeGrasso arc was really about. I would love to hear some um, listener feedback, too, on the DeGrassos, because I think puzzling out the different groups, the DeGrasso arc is one that still I'm a little bit unclear of like what we actually derived from their storyline. Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, let's put that uh, as another one of our topics to discuss on the season wrap. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, next we jump over to Tanya. She wakes up and comes in for breakfast as the gays whisper conspiratorially. Don't say the gays. <laughs> you can't say the gays. Do the gay. Uh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can't say it, but, you know, Mike White can say it. Truly. Um, no, the mafia is gay. As I said several episodes ago. Yeah. The this is the gay mafia. Right. Nobody believed me. Uh, no. Nobody believed no, me. We did not. You didn't believe me, David. I did not. I and it was truly the gay mafia. For not believing you. Well, maybe y'all will listen to me next time. When I have a wild conspiracy theory <laughs> next time, y'all better cash in your chips early. Listen in. So the gay mafia is really plotting with this thing. And yeah. they are Working up the courage, I think, to do it. And I think that you see throughout the episodes, there's some signs of dissent about it. Yes, I was going to say there seemed to be some. I think that's what the conversation here was, was um, oh, I'm blanking the name of the guy with the uh, Trillio mustachio. Is it Luigi? Mm, is oh, it? no, no. He just looks like Luigi. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> oh, come on now. Hey. <laughs> it's okay. I'm Italian. I'm allowed to oh, you are. play on the video game stereotypes. You are. You are. Um, I had thought I had written it down here somewhere. I don't remember where in my notes. But yeah, anyway, the one guy who stayed, Matteo. Matteo is his name. Matteo. Yes. Matteo. Yeah, Matteo seems to be um, not liking what's happening here. And he, he seems to be a little bit more emphatic than the others are. He's got a great mustache, too. Yeah, that's pretty good I gotta mustache. say. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's deeply uncomfortable with this, I think. Yeah. And later we see uh, what, that ha what that results in. I think Mateo is probably the boss now, right? Of the gay mafia. Oh, that's a good question. Well, the, uh, one of the other guys, Hugo, I think, escaped. And the captain certainly escaped. But Hugo was in the failed mission. So maybe right. Mateo, yeah. he, he comes out on top here. He's like, I never wanted anything to do with this. Because, you know, there's always a bigger boss. Yeah, there is. I wonder if Jack's going to try and make it play. Oh, no, Jack was being used, I think. Yeah. Also, Easy I out. think that Jack failed his mission, and I'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, I was going to, yeah, I had that in the notes. 
All right. Uh, well, that takes us over to Portia, who wakes up next to Jack, and she cannot find her phone. Jack tells her not to worry and go back to sleep. Yikes. It took her a long time to call him out. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked that she kept getting in the car with him. I mean, she's kind of dumb, right? Like, she's just kind of dumb. She's a little bit She's clueless. getting in the car little, with yeah. this guy she doesn't know, who's clearly taking her phone and trying to isolate her. Why? And then laying there in bed and like he kind of puts his meaty arm over her. I was just like, ew, gross. Like I was, you know, was creeped out by by this scene. That uh, was really it was really rough that she put up with it for so long. Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of shocking actually. Yeah, it's uh it's kind of crazy. I don't think that either her or Alvi have shown much intelligence in this series. Mm, no. And I think that in the end they do deserve each other. <laughs> okay. Um, next we see Valentina and Mia who are woken up by a maid coming into the room. Valentina realizes the lateness of the hour. She can't find her underwear, so she decides to go commando. Mia compliments her on her lovemaking. On the identities of cheeks I was going to see this season, (laughs) Valentina was not on my list. I did not think that we were going to get a nude scene with her. We got a lot of, uh, nudity in this uh, season. Mike sure did. Mike was using all that HBO cred that he could. And they were totally fine with that. Yeah. I I think here what I found interesting was that this is another step on Valentina's journey of discovering her power. Like, she's the hotel manager, director, whatever you want to call her. I think the managing director, a director, they're often called directors, I think, in, in Europe from like a a manager, high-level manager like that. So she uses the, um, you know, yelling at the maid really as a kind of a self-preservation defensive kind of thing. But I think at the end of this, she has a little bit of moment of recognition, an- another one, another little moment of, of recognition that, wait a minute, I am the boss here. Who are you to question me? Now, that's a dangerous path. We know that. But what I like about it is from her character standpoint, she's really starting to not be afraid to use it and and really step into being a boss. Now she's got some, you know, guardrails to learn and how to treat and respect people, but we see it we see that definitely change later on in this episode. So I think this again is just more of a um more uh, another element of the uh, process of her discovering who she is and it's all being unlocked by the fact that she can actually be out now. It's also really an effective subversion of the statement that Giuseppe made earlier in the season uh-huh. when Mia says, why do men have all the power? And he says, so that pretty girls like you can cut to the front of the line. Well, she tried that with Giuseppe, right? Mm-hmm. And went nowhere for her. In fact, uh, she almost got into a lot of trouble for it. Meanwhile, she tries it with Valentina, a woman, and she actually kind of does cut to the front <laughs> of the line. She you know, gets the job. Interesting, which, yeah. Let's just be clear. That was a deeply unethical thing for Valentina to do. <laughs> deeply. Like, deeply wrong. No matter how bad a piano player Giuseppe was. <laughs> right, right. That was not the way to replace him. Oh, my God. But but we love it. It does go to show that, like, the power lies in places that are different today than they used to be. Right. So, at breakfast, Daphne relates uh, the story of a guy who got in trouble for throwing a yogurt at their employee. Cameron reacts with disgust at the story. Harper calls him an idiot, and then Ethan has a realization. 
Yeah, she was being chummy with him, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. I like how in that moment we see the penny drop for Ethan and he's like, you never would have done that if something hadn't happened. Which he's right. Yeah. He's right. Yeah. And we can talk more about that fallout when we get there. Um, I Interestingly, you know, again, here Cameron with his privilege, like, oh, like you can't succeed anymore without hurting somebody's feelings. It's like, no, dude, you can't treat people like shit on your way up. And you can't certainly be throwing yogurt at people's heads. Like, that's just right. not on. Like, you know, for as much as, I don't know, Cameron's, he's a simplistic character. He's complex in some ways. But like, nah, dude, that, that's not how the world works anymore. And it's funny that he has that reaction in front of Harper, who is an HR lawyer, of course. Yeah, it's no good. I mean, Cameron's just kind of a, an asshole, yeah. you know, and, and he's always going to be that way. Yeah. All right. Next, we see Albie joining his dad for breakfast, and he asks him casually for $50,000 as a karmic payment. Albie offers to help smooth things over with his mom and dad. This truly was a transformation for Albie, right? Yes. I will look over, I, I, I will just look past every moral boundary I have set through this entire season. <laughs> if you give me $50,000 for yes. the sex worker I met three days ago. <laughs> and he comes and he sits down with such confidence, with such swagger, with such surety. And then when he's like, okay, it's, I'm not getting anywhere here. I'm going to use, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out my big cards here and I'm going to, I'll go to bat for you with, with mom. Like, wow, dude, like, <laughs> talk about like ethically questionable. Like that was really, really suspect. Like you're going to sell fixing your family's relationships for 50K for a sex worker that you met three days ago. That's wild. That is wild. He's kind of selling off his mom's happiness. Like, you know that Dominic's not going to change. You know that he's not going to change for real. That's a really good point, because I hadn't even thought about the, inf the impact on his mother. Like, he was just trying to buy something from his dad. Like, no, dude, that had, wow, that's a good point. That, that, what he's doing has, like, serious consequences. Right. He's literally sending his mom back into... <laughs> a dysfunctional relationship with a man who's not ready yet to have that relationship. Well, here's the thing is, I don't think that Dominic is remorseful. I think he's lonely. Right. You know, mm -hmm. he is, he regrets the consequences he's had to face. But until he had to face consequences, he was totally fine doing what he was doing. Right. He's a serial cheater. He's not a one-time mistake guy. Uh, he had pre-planned the sexcapade for himself while he was in Sicily. He checked the Yelp reviews of all the sex workers <laughs> in Taramina. <laughs> 50K. Who's got 50K to drop? I'll take 50K. I mean, I guess Dominic has 50K <laughs> for no reason. Just... And uh, karmic payment. What a way to frame that. Ooh. You know, I, I will say this. Lucia got stiffed on the bill. Yeah. Yeah. From Dominic. That's true. Well, she got way more than she bargained from. Let's let's do the math. She was, at, what is it, 3,008? That's her rate. Uh huh. They were there seven nights. So she was going to make 21,000. All right. So she got more than double her rate. All right. With fees and penalties, you know, cancellation policy, you know? Plus what she got from Cameron. Right. And the clothes, right? Because they went shopping. Uh, that's true. She that's was in true. a fresh outfit every day. 
Oh, I wish we saw the bill at the end. That would have been so funny. <laughs> I, I I don't know how. I certainly hope Dominic doesn't like. I don't know how he does his finances in our household. Uh, I I don't. I do less of the uh, far far less of the finances. I'm not good at it, and my partner is enjoy actually enjoys it. Fun for them. Well, I'm lucky is, in that regard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I yeah, <laughs> but um like. The hotel bill and $50,000, like if there's any kind of divorce proceedings or anything like that, th that's going to get really, really messy really fast. It depends how long he can behave a little bit for Laura Dern. Right. Which, by the way, did you notice that in the picture of Dominic's family, that was not Laura Dern? Yeah, I was looking and I, I did. I totally I, I noticed that as well. They were like, we can get Laura Dern to hop on Skype for us for a day, but we can't <laughs> get her into the studio. Right. Uh, to take a selfie with her own cell right. phone. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, you know, Albie did style himself as the peacemaker of his family in one of some of those early conversations with uh, Portia. And as the peacemaker, he, know, he knows exactly what buttons to push, yeah. right? Yep. He knows who wants what, he knows who has what, and he knows how to get what he wants. And again, you know, we see, we're seeing a lot of characters coming into their power in, or coming into power, you know, uh, in, in this season. And certainly, Albie has come out of his uh, sort of performative woke self, and you know, finger wagging, and sort of uh, I understand how I should be living. But in this scenario, he's really been living, and he's really been uh, stepping out. And so, when he steps to his father, he does so with confidence and surety. Um, and yeah, as you say, he knows what he's already mapped out all the buttons because he's been part of this emotionally complex semi-toxic stew of his family life and been he's already been managing the relationship between his his parents and so yeah you're right he could he can press all the buttons real quick and um work some magic uh for 50k i don't know that's a pretty good price i mean he doesn't get any of it though so i'll say this though did albie unintentionally save her from needing to do sex work like she could theoretically, that that could be the seed of a business right there that yeah. she wants to do. Yeah, that she talked about starting. I forgot what kind, but right. I think she wanted that to could be the beginning. Yeah, like she could actually change her life here. Yeah, so maybe he is king feminist in the end. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and those unintended consequences that we have as we walk through life, right? And and maybe yeah, uh, Lucia's trajectory has changed forever. Fifty k will do that for you. Yeah, yeah. Well. Albie certainly has sacrificed his ideals, and that, that was interesting to see here. And I think if in some ways he's better for it, you know? Is he? He's more, he's, he's less, he's less of a, of a finger-wagging, unsure person. Like he, I'll, I'll say it that way. I, I, there could be other problems, because we certainly see at the airport, we still see some, you know, in questionable behavior. But he certainly is has become he's lost his self doubt, and generally that's a good thing. I don't know. Was that his problem though? Yes, I think it was. At least that's the way I was interpreting it. No, I think that his problem was he was attached to repeating talking points, and when it came time for him to act in accordance with those talking points, turned out he didn't have it in him. Sure. Turned out all it took was the best blowjob he ever had to turn him from. You know, King Feminist, as I've been making fun of him with, to 
I need 50000 for a sex worker. But you know, hear me out here on this. He did it, even though, and then when he, when he admits later to having been played, he's not all broken up about it. It's like, okay, yeah, I was played. And regardless of the circumstances there and how- It wasn't like, his money. No, right. No, no, no. Hear me out. Regardless <laughs> of the circumstances, it was a, a partially emotionally mature response because he didn't throw himself into a tension tantrum or go raging after her. He was like, oh, yeah. She played me. All right. Lesson learned. Move on. Yeah, it's not his money. Uh, and there's all kinds of other issues about privilege and having that kind of money that you could throw around like that. As, you know, <laughs> Dominic says, I'm not an NGO. But I think he, in some ways, is a, a slightly better person for all that he's done because he's not bumbling around unsure of himself anymore. He's, uh, he, you know, he's got a little bit of confidence. And that that's important. I don't think that we should equate authenticity with goodness because you can be authentically bad. Sure. Right. Yeah. You can be really, we, we know people in the public eye who are very comfortable just being awful to other people. Yes. And I think that Albie is certainly a more authentic version of himself now. Yeah. But is that person really better than the person at the beginning of the season? I don't know. It's at least like at the same level. It might be slightly worse. This is one of the things that I really like about what Mike White is doing with all of this is he's giving this these complexities. And so, yeah, like I love seeing Valentina come out and get to express herself and live a part of her, her life that has been severely repressed for a long time and really making her bitter and uh, a, a misery to, to be around. But she's also doing it. Well, she's abusing her power as a boss. And, uh, you know, so like that, that's problematic. So I think Mike White is doing that everywhere throughout with all these characters. And I love it. Uh, I think it's great because he's not making, he's not passing judgment on any of these people, but he's telling us something that's very real and very true is that we're all flawed. We all are, we all are making mistakes all the time. And we're also doing good all the time as well. And that is the complex life. That's the complex stew of life, I would guess. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. All right, David, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll head back to the hotel lobby. And we're back. So, David, can you walk us back to the hotel lobby here? Yeah, sure. At the front desk, Isabella petitions Val to get Rocco back from the beach, and then Val banishes Salvatore. Val Kilmer? <laughs> Valentina. Sorry. Okay. All right. Um, I'm a terrible typist, so sometimes I shortcut <laughs> things, and so I wrote Val That's okay. Valentina. That's okay. Val Kilmer noticeably absent from the new willow series yeah so sad sadly uh I, I think he's had some health problems so off oh, yeah, on that there's, tangent there's a whole yeah no yeah he's he's not in good shape these days unfortunately well we wish you the best val yeah but on to valentina that was pretty good how she just <laughs> completely flips the switch and is fine being friends with isabella now and is going to do the right thing in her lobby do the wrong thing in her dining room with the piano but at least she's going to do the right thing in her lobby and let Isabella be with her fiance. Right. Which I don't know you're supposed to do at work anyway, uh, but that's another question. Um, but again, yeah. With this- I used to 
I used to run a coffee shop like both of us working for like double shifts with my girlfriend at the time. Oh, really? And uh, it was it was fun. And and uh, she's now my wife, so I guess we were okay <laughs> being together. Well, I guess that worked out then. It sure did. So I'm I'm no stranger to this dynamic. Poor Salvatore. Uh, he's at the front desk. He's at the beach. Uh, where am I going? <laughs> to the kitchen. <laughs> Washing dishes. Now yeah. get out of my face. That was so good. And again, this is all this this stuff of, of Valentina, you know, coming in to her own. And she's like, yeah, if you don't like it, you, you can go in the kitchen, right? Like, I'm the boss. I'm telling you where to, to be and what to do. And, you know, you don't have to be employed here. So, yeah, I, again, it's it's she's she's stepping up uh she's got to learn some management techniques but uh i still thought it was funny (laughs) yeah yeah that was a fun little scene and she's such a great actress she her facial expressions the ability to turn her emotions on a dime so so good i i really enjoyed her performance all season long did you see the interview where she said she improvised the peppa pig line no i missed that you have to send me the link Oh, that, that was her. Awesome. And then apparently Jennifer Coolidge didn't know who Peppa Pig was, <laughs> and they had to explain it to her. That's even better. I love it. I'd love to see that outtake. She'd be like, and if she <laughs> yeah. did it as Tanya McQuad, she'd be like, huh? And she, apparently, they went on and they did a couple other takes without it, and Valentina had no idea that they actually put it in the final show until somebody asked her about the line in an interview. Oh, that's awesome. You have to send me that link. Definitely. Yeah, it was good. All right. uh, Waiting to leave the piazza, Tanya remembers the photo of Greg. She goes to Quentin's room to look at it, and Quentin confronts her. Quentin did not want her in that room. And my question is, you have Tanya coming. You can't put one picture away. Yeah, seriously. It's one picture, man. And if you haven't talked to that dude in decades, why do you still have his picture on your dresser, which ostensibly is a place where you're putting pictures of your closer loved ones, right? Like maybe if I dropped acid with my fly fishing buddy, that might be a picture that was in my photo albums, not necessarily on my dresser where I'm looking at it every day. Right, right. Very strange. And didn't that was the room too where um, her and Nicolo were partying and having fun, right? They so, at least got started in there. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, a sloppy on Quentin's part. Very sloppy. Very, very sloppy. The gay mafia doesn't have all their ducks in a row. <laughs> no. That's all I'm saying. They're a little unpracticed uh, when dealing with such a wily character as Tanya McQuad. Quentin's going to show up to the next meeting and he's going to walk in and be like, I'm going to be a made man now. I'm going to be a made man. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> no good. All right, back in the room, Ethan confronts Harper with his suspicions. Harper ultimately confesses. This was a pretty rough scene. This was a pretty rough scene. This was very rough. And I was actually really surprised that anything did happen. Mm -hmm. Because it seemed out of character for Harper. Sure. But then when when she explains it, you're like, okay, that was an easy mistake for her to make. You know? Mm -hmm. I do think that she downplays it quite a lot. Because I think that had Ethan not come in at that moment. Yes, that was a question I had for you in my notes here, is if Ethan hadn't come up from the beach when he had, what would have happened? Oh, they would have had sex. Like, they would have just gone all the way. Right. You know, that's the first sex you'll have had all week. <laughs> God. With Cameron, of all people. Which is just insane to me. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
I mean, I think she thinks he's physically attractive. Sure. Yeah. He's got a great physique. Yeah. Yeah. But she's just kind of repulsed by his personality. And yeah, he'd been, I, I even, I was looking at the first episode uh, the other week and even on the boat as they're coming in, it's really funny because you see Harper and Ethan, you know, she's got her arms crossed and her legs crossed and Ethan's like imploring to her saying something. It's just a very dark cloud. And then they cut over to Cameron and Daphne and they're sunny and they're all smoochy smoochy and stuff. And then Cameron looks over at Harper and winks at her and she's like, uh, I'm simultaneously disgusted and turned on. <laughs> and you see that in a flash. You know, Aubrey, uh, um, what's her name? Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, uh, you know, as an actress, she just does that. She's like, oh my God, that's so gross, but I'm so hot right now. Um, it's, it's really, they were setting it up from the beginning. It was, and you know what, I'll say this. I did lose some internet points because I said, no, she definitely wasn't attracted to him at all when uh-huh. he was naked in front of her. Right. She was disgusted by it. It's simultaneously. I see. I didn't say simultaneously. Okay. Though. I said it right. Was you all said discussed. singular. Right. I guess I lost some internet points on that. Are there any internet points to be doled out because we were? I can't remember who or if if I said it or not about the foursome and the swinging thing because we definitely talked about polyamory and swinging and yeah. some differences. There. I wouldn't call this swinging because swinging is a consensual thing, in my opinion. Well, that, that, that's what I understand it to be. They were consensual <laughs> among No, the... no, but I mean, when you're in a swinging partnership, <laughs> right, right, you in know, my understanding, your partner knows what you're doing. Right. And this was this Otherwise, was just, it's just cheating. This is just a double infidelity. Right. Yeah. Right. But even though, yeah, so. even even both sides were. <laughs> no points either way. Okay. That's what I that's what my ruling is as the internet point arbiter on the line. So, this argument, this conversation I mean, Ethan is just like, he's pounding on his chest. He's like, I did nothing wrong. And it's like, yes, you did. You lied for like a day about what happened. Also, if what she's saying is true, he went exactly as far as she did. That's true. It's true. He got kissed. Yep. And then he was like, nothing happened. Yep. That's a really good point. Which is exactly what Harper said happened. And he hasn't even told her that. You, you, didn't, you didn't predict this, but I'm going to give you an internet point for that, because that is an excellent observation. I have enough internet points. Keep them. Okay. <laughs> uh, with the gay mafia, my, I, I can't store any more internet points. I have to do a couple of really big failures okay. to really empty my carts here. All right. That's a really good point. I, I really like that take. Uh, they're both equal in their infidelity. And he just can't even see yes. that it's the same level of it's infidelity. Because they, he's so in a rage. And they both lied to each other sort of a similar amount in terms of how they were gaslighting and, and obscuring uh, the other one. I mean, she was actively lying, and he was lying yeah. by omission. But it's still a lie. You're still being dishonest with the person that you promised to never be dishonest with. Right. Especially when she was asking pointed questions, so he was yes. deliberately avoiding. It was not he like, was. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. No, he was, he was actively avoiding uh, her questioning. Yeah, I don't think there's any heroes in their relationship. No. So Ethan is furious uh, about what Cameron Cameron's involvement in this. So he goes to look for him in their room. Daphne tells him he's out for a swim. So this is the first little step uh, into this um, thing that happens between Daphne and Ethan. This was where I was like, oh my God, this is the death. 
right? Uh-huh. I think that a lot of people were thinking that at that point. Right. He's yeah, out yeah. for a swim. Yep. This is the day she's going to discover something. Right. And he's going to be killed by Ethan and just sit there until Daphne can discover him. So um, in the water, so that just jumps us right to the next scene, which is in the water, Ethan confronts Cameron, they fight. The struggle ends when Ethan socks Cameron in the jaw. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was totally setting up that whole, uh, with the underwater scenes and the, you know, holding each other under, under the surface, like completely um, giving us red herrings there. So I saw in the season trailer, uh-huh. and I, it was kind of spoiled for me, that just one brief shot of them fighting underwater. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, Ethan's definitely going to kill Cameron at this point. Right. But, I, but even the trailer subverted my expectations. You know, it was uh, not the case. The, the negotiator, the Priceline negotiator came and said, you guys can't do this. Why can't we be friends? <laughs> Uh, I do think that Cameron thought it was hilarious that he got punched in the face. Yes. And he was like yeah. laughing. He's like, I finally broke Ethan. Yes. Right. Um, I had once an experience where I got into an argument, a long running argument with the management company of our um, co-op in New York City when we used to live there. They'd done some repairs in the building. They'd left all this like junk out. And I had a, you know, uh, I got a, how old was our daughter then? Like a 12 month old at that point. So I was like hyper focused, hyper sensitive to like obstruct, you know, any sort of jagged metal or anything, you know, any sort of baby-esque hazard. So I walk into this basement elevator lobby at our building and there's just like gears and they'd been doing ele- uh, elevator repair and they just, and the, the company just left all their stuff out in this, they didn't even close the door. So I went round and round with our um, uh, building man, or not our building, yeah, the, 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 co- the company that was in charge of our building. And the guy was like gaslighting me all the time, like this whole in this email, and it got really heated. And then at the next annual shareholders meeting when we were there, he came up to me like with a big smile and a big handshake. Hey, how you doing? It's good to see you, buddy, buddy. And like, you know, he was like, I was like, oh my goodness. Like when you get into a fight with another alpha e person, and if you can best them, they will turn and be friendly to you now and stop treating you like shit. It was a wild experience. You know what the real moral of that story is, though? Don't fucking live in New York City. <laughs> I don't anymore. That's why we moved. <laughs> just, just get out of New York City. That's really the moral. Kids, if you're listening at home, you shouldn't be because this is an explicit podcast. Right. But if you are listening at home, don't move to New York City. It seems better than it is. I really liked that. I mean, okay, yeah, physical violence, you know, you know, is that a great resolution? I don't know. You know, Ethan got a lot of resolution and a lot of, I mean, it, it was sort of his Mount Etna. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting uh, parallel there. Like he defeats the, you know, the monster that is Typhon, right? And uh, he can now be the king of the nerds. Um, but like he's overcome something and he's able to allow that physical aspect of his hate and anger and frustration out at a target who actively um, subverted him and effed with him for for many years. And uh, I think that had some huge degree of catharsis for Ethan. Yeah. um, I don't know. Again, this is different and this is more authentic to him. Is it better? I don't know. I don't, I kind of don't think so. I think 
things might have been a little better when they were kept inside, Ethan. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of this this thing, right? It's it's more real because stuff like that happens. They come to it comes to a boil, and then you have to figure out how to live and go on. There is no Cinderella story ending, right? You've got to yep. you've got to figure out how to reorient yourself and and get on and keep living in the world when you've confronted something like that. Do you think that Ethan would have killed Cameron had he not been stopped? I don't think, I think kind of like the bull elephant thing, right? You fight, you fight hard, you kick each other's asses, um, but at the end of the day, you don't kill the other. Like very rarely does okay. that happen where, where actual accidental death can happen, but intentional death, usually somebody backs down at some point and they go, oh, this is way too serious. This is way too real. Like if one or the other had actually like, if, you know, if you're fighting and, and like, if it's not, this isn't real murder, right? This is emotional rage. This isn't like evil, right? I'm going to kill you. I think like if oh, one I, of them I, stopped struggling. I, I don't know water, if I'd separate that as much as you are. But, yeah, I would. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. Well, I think that we often excuse a lot of murders as manslaughter because. Sure. People were, you know, quote, heat of passion, but yeah. really. You know, you're in control of your own passions, too. You know, you have to keep you. You can't use emotion as an excuse to kill somebody. No, you can't. And I think that Ethan was actually pretty lost here. I think he was pretty like in a tunnel vision rage. He hadn't slept in two days. He was not thinking straight. Mm -hmm. He was not looking past the present moment. Right. And I think that he would have kept him underwater if that guy hadn't come stop him. Hmm. That's a good question. Right in. If you but I guess we'll take. never know. Yeah, right in if you have a different take. I do think, uh, this is an interesting little thing that um, you just made me think of, and you had mentioned this before, I think, one of our, on our offline conversations, um, but in the opening credit sequence with all of the paintings, frescoes, whatever they're called, there's two images of a monkey on a chain. And I thought, thought maybe you and I talked about this, or, or I, I heard it on one of the interviews with Mike White. There's something about the that imagery about like we're all we all have you know our our um, uncivilized selves within us, and then that we sort of have to collar that and chain that and keep that under control. And in this case here, we had you know the the monkey got loose and uh, and you know they had a big fight, right? Because of all of these active and perceived slights that have been going on for over the years. Yeah, it was really crazy when Ethan slung shit at uh, Cameron, mm -hmm. you know, when he when he just stuck his hand in his bathing suit and just threw poopy <laughs> at him. I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, he's a monkey now. So, right. You yes, know, they, exactly. I they're, got it. They're, they're fighting like monkeys. Ha ha ha. Very funny. Very funny. I do uh, just want to touch quickly, though, on back on the, the Daphne thing like that. I think if Daphne, I think it was very important from a television standpoint, an episode, TV episode making standpoint, that Daphne and Ethan had that short encounter before he went to go look for Cameron, because that sets her up later when she sees him on the beach to call him over. Um, and I think she already has a sense of what has gone on or that something is going on. Well, I think she always knows what's going on. Yes, yeah. I don't think that anything gets past her, to be honest. I think she's the smartest character on the show. It's true. I, I agree. 100% agree with that. All right. Portia and Jack have a late breakfast, and Portia can't get over not finding her phone. Jack informs her that he's taking her sightseeing before driving her back to Terramina. 
When Jack steps away, Portia grabs his phone to make a call. Um, just more creepy stuff from, from Jack here. Like, dude, I don't want to know your bowel movements. I'm like having a, trying to have a nice breakfast in Sicily here. <laughs> I'm already skeezed out enough. And then you're going to tell me about like why you need to go to the bathroom. No, thank you. Somebody said on Reddit, what kind of maniac goes to the bathroom without his phone? <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, no way. So this is one of the details that I was saying. Like, eh, there's little things that just don't add up. And that was definitely one of them. Like, who, who goes to the bathroom without their phone anymore? Apparently Jack. Yeah, apparently. apparently Jack. He's, he's got enough entertainment with his booby. Maybe he was just a little bit too uh, hungover from the, the previous night. Could be. Can't see straight, so he's just going to drive across Sicily. On the yacht, Tanya lauds the gays for their lifestyle. Quentin is pleased by Tanya's appreciation for old homes. She gets a phone call and steps away. So I thought this was a funny scene in that um, Quentin was sitting there in a very business-like manner, and I didn't half think that at this point they were going to pull out a videotape from the, night, the party from the night before, or Greg was going to walk in. And say, about, you know, the money that we need for keeping up our homes, here's the blackmail material that we have on you, cough up some dough, or, you know, it's curtains for you. I really did think that, I didn't realize that they were going to go full murder plot. I thought they were going to go blackmail plot up until this point. I mean, there was a theory floating around the internet that there was like a little red tally light of a camera up in the corner. I think we even talked about it on our last podcast. Um, and so I thought this was the, uh, the moment of um, blackmail. Because Quentin was sitting very business-like. He was like, yes, it is a shame. There are so many piazza that have, like, you know, we need to take care of them. And um, it felt like a sales call, really. I have a lot of thoughts on this. First of all, Greg was clearly in that uh, body trunk the whole time, right? Um, but <laughs> on a serious note, I think there, oh, there can was I, Can I interrupt you really quick here. here? Go ahead. Yeah, just on a serious note, if you think Greg was on board the boat at any point during this storyline, write in and let us know your... Uh, your theories, because that's definitely something I want to talk about on the uh, wrap-up podcast. Okay, back over to you. I don't think he was there at this point. Okay. Uh, right in and to disagree with him. That's fine. <laughs> but on a serious note, I think that there was a dual plot here, a dual scheme, which was, okay, we can either kill her or do the blackmail. Because you it think does so? not make sense. Okay. It does not make sense why they spent two days whining and dining her yep. just to offer. Right. They could have done that day one. Right. They could have just done that by taking her out to where they were anchored. Right. I don't understand why they would do that. Uh, and, and be seen with her all week, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, they, it just doesn't make sense. Now, something that I could say is maybe if they're recording that tape, because I do think that the camera light was there, but maybe if they're recording that tape, they're, they're going to say, oh, well, see, she was in bed with this mobster. Mm -hmm. Of course, he killed her when she spurned him. Right. Yeah, that's a good storyline, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that way, it, it detaches them from a scheme. Right. It's just like, oh, she had sex with the wrong guy. Right. And then he in a fit of rage or something. Yeah. 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 And this is where I said before, like, if I, if I look a little too closely at the details, I'm like, uh, but you know what? I'm too entertained by this storyline to want to do that. I, I, I want the story to, to exist as it is. Yeah. On the phone, Tanya and Portia trade intel about Jack and Quentin, about Quentin's finances and the photo of Greg. Tanya has a realization about the prenup, and Jack grabs his phone back from Portia. 
first of all, Jack is terrifying here with the oi. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying yeah. and concerned about international phone prices that <laughs> Porsche could just cover, right? Easily. And clearly he's trying to isolate her. What's the Jack system? Just oh, right. drive across Sicily. <laughs> Act casual. That's it. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. We um, have to workshop that one a little bit more. Yeah, it's, well, we don't have another episode to do that on, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I'll, I'll say this is uh, Tanya yeah. is way sharper than we give her credit for. Yes, yeah. Puts together the whole plot the minute she's like, oh, but if I die, yep. he gets something. Yep, yep. And then what's up with Portia? Like, okay, I'm really creeped out. Dude has my phone. You're on this boat. Like, the alarm bells should be ringing, going off the, you know, crazy. And yet she's just kind of like, I have a creepy feeling about this. Like... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I was a little frustrated by Porsche's inability to take decisive action in the moment here. Especially when Tanya is ready to do whatever she needs to do to get off this yeah. boat. Jennifer Coolidge's whole manner in this and the, her realization in coming to it, again, just uh, such brilliant acting, so enjoyable and fun to watch her come to grips with like what's actually taking place here. Um, hilarious. Just absolutely hilarious. Whose boat is this? Uh, I think it's maybe a charter rental type thing. Okay. Yeah. But Tutti Gay. So, Tutti Gay. So maybe, was he in the gay mafia sure. or did they just hire a gay sailor? Sure. It's like a limo company, right? Like you don't have limousines there, you have yachts, right? It's the same kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Does the gay mafia run the yacht company? Then? That's, there you go. That's a very good possibility. All right. That would be All a right. good business to be in. That's my head cannon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your business, murder yachts. You just <laughs> have yachts, yachts that you can charter to send somebody to out off. to sea to die. Um, so sort of in the backside of the scene, Tanya and Portia both confront their captors. Uh, and uh, Quentin delivers the line for me that sort of sealed the whole deal. You know, I already had the, the, the evidence, but he says, enjoy the Ionian Sea while you can. And that was that callback to... Uh, Valentina's line about uh, you know the you know thing you know people can die in the Ionian Sea and it's not our problem it's not hotel property or whatever she said yeah oh that's a good call yeah um I was not totally convinced yet that Mike wasn't gonna subvert this whole thing okay because at this point Tanya could still be paranoid and we could still be viewing this through her view yes yeah yep and that that could have totally been flipped on its head. The moment where it really clicked for me, like this is definitely going down, was the rope and duct tape yeah. moment. <laughs> the murder bag, indeed. That was the moment. Um, the whole thing, too. I mean, we were just talking about this a minute ago with Jack and the phone, but then like in the car and Portia, like just being skis. Like it, it was just like very creepy. Like both of these characters, both of these women being controlled and manipulated and gaslit uh, by these guys. Like it was, um, and, and, you know, Tanya said, you know, oh, I see a lot of you and me, you know, Portia. And it's like, well, yeah, you're both cap you're being held captive by men that you've been enchanted by, you know, one, oh, well, one they, being they straight. They could say no, they guy. could leave. They could. But they won't. Yeah. Because of the implication. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Say more. It's the Always Sunny joke. No, I don't know. Do you watch Always Sunny? No, I do not. 
Okay. Now here, here we go. I'm going <laughs> to explain go. to you this joke. Yes, I know. And is, I, I know it's a big missing in my cultural lexicon, but I, you, you got to watch it. But there's this, there's this episode where they buy a boat, uh-huh. and Dennis basically wants to take women out onto the boat. He's an awful person. He's portrayed as an awful person, okay. so this is an awful thing. And he basically says like, "Oh, the women could say no to sleeping with me, but they won't because of you know the implication." <laughs> Okay, I got it. It's awful. Okay. It's absolutely awful. Right. And uh, that, that's, what, that's what I'm going that's for what is here. here. Like, I see it. Yeah. They could leave the car. Yeah. They could leave the boat. But they won't. But they won't. Because of the implication. There you have it there. All right, back on the beach, Daphne sees Ethan is in distress and calls him over. He expresses his concerns. Daphne looks pained, but then offers sage advice. She invites him to walk with her to Isola Bella. I didn't realize you could walk there. From what yeah, they were talking yeah, about, yeah, I exactly. thought you had to take a boat over there. Right. I was like, oh, they're they're just gonna walk Stroll up. Over. Okay. Yeah. Why doesn't everybody do this? This was the emotional powerhouse of scene of the episode for me. Megan Fahey's delivery here, her acting was inspired, absolutely brilliant. I watched the scene a couple of times over. The looks on her faces, on her face, the way she turns, her kindness and sort of sunny disposition, her, you know, her sort of nurturing, you know, motherly instincts, the, <laughs> the, the pained look when she knows the truth of it, and then the resolve and clarity of purpose when she makes her decision of how she's going to handle it. Absolutely brilliant. I hope that she is up for some awards because she deserves them. And she's my favorite character of the episode, hands down. Yeah, she was great. You, uh, you like this meme that I saw going around. Oh, it's so funny. Of her like, processing it like a Mac would process, adding a new folder. Come on, if you're not on our Discord server, uh, we have it posted on the, in the channel for the episode. Uh, I'm sure you could find it somewhere else. It's with Megan Fahey, uh, Macintosh operating system reboot. I'm sure you could find it with that but it was so the internet's won today the internet won the day for sure yeah megan fahey really just killed it this season they really introduced her as a vapid character because that's the trope that they're playing with Mm -hmm. and then the whole season she just peels back layer over layer and uh you know when mike white did his interview at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. he said rich tapestry and i almost fell out my chair Mm -hmm. because i was like David, you're going to love this interview. <laughs> Weaving tapestries. Yes. A rich tapestry. A rich tapestry. He, he listens to our podcast. I'm convinced. Okay. Yep. Uh, Mike, thanks for a great episode of uh, television and a great season. Get it, let us know if you want to do another interview. <laughs> truly. Truly. You're always welcome on the Lorehounds podcast. That's right. Um, so, yeah, she definitely was hurt and i think more hurt because of harper than cameron Mm -hmm. because she thought that harper was her true friend oh good point very good point i wonder if cameron does this to all her friends (laughs) i mean she says that her friends are are always uh failures so is this why is is cameron just like going and trying to seduce every single one of her friends that is a very good headcanon that um yeah all of her friends get skeezed out because cameron's feeling him up underneath the table uh on the other side of while they're having dinner and right. dropping his dong. I think Cameron dong. wants what he can't have because right. he wants to dominate everything. Right. Dropping his dong when he's uh, changing into his bathing suit in inappropriate right. locations. Right. 
So surprised he didn't have the Borat bathing suit once we saw him in the water. <laughs> Thank you for an image I didn't need in my head. Um, you are welcome. The you know obviously lots of speculation about did they didn't they on Isola Bella. Um, I don't care to know. I'm yeah. fine with the mystery, as she says. Right, you know, you can you can know somebody really well and spend all this time with them, but you know, what about some mystery? So I like that he gave us a mystery about that. I think it comports well with what he was saying there um, with this interaction between Daphne and Harper and, and the foursome in general. Boy, this new kid looks a lot like Uncle Ethan. <laughs> you did not just say that. <laughs> All I'm oh, saying is man. these kids are going to have varying looks here. Yeah, right. It's good. We're getting real House of the Dragon here. Real House of the Dragon. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're fucking uncles all over the place. Oh, God. Uh, we're, uh, yeah, no, it, it's House of the Dragon City. Yeah, big time. The yacht drops anchor off of Terramina, and Tanya is eager to get to the shore, but Quentin explains the plans for their final dinner and for Nicolo to take her back later that evening. Tanya is just like, okay, this is real. This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> creepy AF. and uh, like anybody would be i mean yeah what what an adrenaline rush to realize there is a murder plot on you right right and everything keeps pointing in the direction of that and you're she's powerless right nicolo was all fun when he had the uh the cocaine for yeah. her but now that he's got the gun again she's like oh god all right uh, mia walks into reception and talks with valentina she promises to introduce valentina around and they agree to meet up later that night Valentina welcomes Rocco back. It was nice of her to welcome Rocco back. I like that Rocco just jumped back mm -hmm. when she first said his name. She was like, oh my, he goes, oh my God, I'm going back to the beach. Right. <laughs> and it is, it's, it's that she's, you know, something has changed for Valentina and she can now be nice to people because she's not being a repressed, uh, you know, she's not a person who's repressing um, part of her identity um, in any way. She can actually... Start to show kindness. Hurt people hurt people, right? Is that what they say? Is there something that Mike White is saying about people being at their wits end and at their end of rage, mm -hmm. and then they have human contact for a night, mm. and then they're fine? If you, if you take it that Ethan had sex with, mm -hmm. or at least some kind of intimacy with Daphne yep. on Isola Bella, and then suddenly is ready to make love with his wife again. Right. And then you have it, Valentina has an intimate night with Mia. And suddenly she's ready to accept that Isabella is straight and that Rocco is going to be there and they're going to be in love. And Albie stops being an insufferable prat uh, because he's actually, um, <laughs> you know, having a few good nights himself. Yeah. Yeah. Socks and all. Yeah. Socks and all. So I think I think he's definitely saying that that that's an important part of our existence. Yeah. As much as we want to avoid being sexual beings, that is what we are. Yeah. It's it's definitely a part of our nature, and when we when it gets, it can get bent and and turned and and pushed into different ways, and and then that has an effect that has an impact on on us and our, uh, and the people around us. Yes, Giuseppe returns to a hero's welcome. He confronts Mia, who is at his place at the piano. Valentina fires Giuseppe. You'll be hearing about this. I mean, what's he going to say? <laughs> oh well, Italian. I HR was drugged law? while I was trying to have sex with a guest in the chapel no he has nothing to say again it, yeah. it, the whole thing is like you can't call the cops 
when you're doing a crime. That's a good point. <laughs> like, what is the HR law here? Like, uh, yeah, she gave my job to the guy, to a person I tried to sleep with on hotel property while I was on shift. Right. Like, he has nothing to say here. Right. You'll be hearing from me about what? And we're talking Italian HR law here. Like, I'm sure they have a robust, you know, uh, legal and court system. I've never personally experienced it. But like, <laughs> like Amanda Knox will tell you yes. that yes, they do have a very robust court system and perhaps not the best one. I actually covered some of that story when I was a um, uh, photographer. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, side note. Um, but yeah, it, that is um, like, yeah, what is he going to do? And he's kind of an impotent guy anyway. Both explicitly and implicitly. Yeah. Terrible musician. <laughs> uh, I've said my piece about Danny Room music, but I would certainly rather listen to Mia than Giuseppe. Right. And and here, you know, uh, uh, Valentina is do, doing a solid for the girls, right? I mean, Mia did get to jump in line. I mean, it, it, it worked out that way, not intentionally, but it certainly worked out that way. Yeah. I'm well... I don't know if it was not intentional because she did specifically offer, can you let me play for two nights and then I'll sleep with you? Right, right. So, but I don't know. I think that Valentina was willing to let her do it without sleeping with her. So it was like kind of morally gray there. It was certainly not morally gray when she finally fires Giuseppe and and brings in Mia. That was definitely like a job for sex. Yeah, yeah. But he was a prat. Um yeah, but again, oh, he's not a good man. He doesn't deserve justice here. Right. Again, this is this great gray area stuff that that Mike White is is giving us. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of right and a little bit of wrong in all of it. Hmm. A well seasoned plot. That's right. Rich tapestry. Porsche and Jack Salt get into the pepper. car. <laughs> Porsche confronts Jack about what's really going on. Jack, obviously over his head, shuts down the conversation. So this is where she says. So you fuck your uncle. Yes. This is that scene. And he just goes dead-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> that was terrifying. I thought she was going to die right there. I was wondering, like, yeah, like, what is the, what's the long game here? Like, what's really going on? Because he's clearly trying to do his quote-unquote job, but not comfortable with it either. He's clearly, in a, at least the way I read it. He's conflicted about what's going on. I think that he was supposed to bring her back to Taramina mm -hmm. so that they could clean her up. Okay. Because she was a loose end here. Right. And I think that Niccolo goes and meets her and kills her too. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That would that would line up. I don't think that they were trusting Jack to actually do the dirty work. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yep. It would be But Niccolo, I think that yeah. he was supposed to deliver her back to the hotel once all was said and right. done. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, so then they would just clean slate Ooh, that's messy though for what yeah i mean yeah then they'd all have to lie about porsche being on the boat and then whatever the accident that occurred on the dinghy and both of them uh it's messy it's a messy plot or they could just disappear her i yeah i mean they don't they don't need a record of porsche she has no assets that's true but you know she has people i mean it would be part of the murder investigation like where's her assistant it's it would be strange it would be an awkward situation for sure Anyway, back on the yacht, Tanya drops her phone into the water and, in a desperate fit, exposits the murder plan to the captain, who tells her he is also gay, that we're all gay. <laughs> and then, tutti gay! Tutti gay! And Niccolo arrives in his tiny dinghy. 
<laughs> if you're going to do exposition, this is a good way to do exposition, <laughs> right? And it comically, yeah. um, with uh, frenetic acting by your heroine. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, peak peak uh, peak Tanya. Yeah, and what was amazing was that Tanya says, "Do you speak English?" And he says, no. And then she goes, okay, well, here's a long string of right. English words. And also, I'm Tanya McQuad, so I don't enunciate anything. And also, I'm speaking incredibly fast because I'm anxious. <laughs> here's a complex murder plot uh, that involves me. And that, you know, do you understand? What did she say? Doesn't she even say in, in Italian? Like, did, did you get Capisce. that? Capisce. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Tutti gay. And then she's like, oh, they're all gay. Like, oh, my God. Like, I can't get away. Hilarious. All right, we have a little mini montage scene at dinner. Um, so I'm going to follow. And then in the final scenes, they're going to be a little bit uh, out of order as well. Um, so at dinner, Cameron slips a Chian envelope as he and Daphne head for their table. They see Harper and Ethan and join them. Cameron offers a toast about their memorable vacation. So this scene was sliced up into, into a different little edit. So I've just compressed it here. So we just talk about the whole. Uh, event as a, as one piece. Um, so Cameron pays his debts. He does. He does. And uh, Harper is panicked as Cameron goes. And I loved getting to know you better. <laughs> but he's so. And she just looks so wide eyed yeah, and panicked. Completely. Oh my god! And he was so like uh, like I kind of believed him. Like he Leo James was like he was like very sincere and like you know guys this has been a really great trip really memorable like i this is meaningful for me like oh my god man but i think this is where mike white is saying like crap happens people do terrible things and you've got to figure out a way to to just move on with your life and and to somehow organize the narration of all that happened so that you can carry on because yeah, I mean, they could have, like, gotten up and left. You know, Harper, uh, um, uh, Ethan and, and Harper could have just got up and left. And that, too, would have been a, a valid way. But I can totally see the, the valid and authentic, authenticity, not to say that it was the right thing for things to happen, but this is a, this is a very true way for things like this to, to happen, I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Like, well, I kind of hate these people, but we're about to leave anyway, yeah. so... Yeah. I guess we'll just sit down and have dinner. So, do we think Cameron is still broke or not? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. I think that one of his Ponzi schemes came back in time. <laughs> and he got paid out. Or he's just lazy yeah. and didn't go to the bank. That could happen. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter in the end, but... um, Yeah, I still think he's broke. Right. He just acts like it, you know? Yeah. Uh, the DeGrassos arrive, and Mia shares her good news with Bert. Dominic tells Albie that he's made the payment. Albie tells Dominic that he's already put in a good word with his mom. Bert is aroused, and Albie makes his excuses to go and give Lucia the good news. <laughs> I could not take anybody else seriously saying that line. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of aroused, like, it, it, so casually. F. Murray Abraham was perfect cast. I'm so glad. I'm so glad Mike White has the opportunity to hire who he wants for these roles and to write for specific actors. Cause I don't know who else, as we've said before, as you have pointed out multiple times that, uh, F Murray Abraham was the perfect person for this role. And while he was not in it a lot, I think he was well utilized. Yeah. I think that where he was there, 
he struck the right tone and he was acting. You know, I mm-hmm. I just don't think that Dominic, that Michael Imperioli was actually doing a lot of the work here. Yeah, yeah. His character was very flat and simple. I don't know what else yeah. he could have done. Um, but that's fine. I don't know. Maybe we needed a little white bread in with uh, all these crazy sandwich ma- makings that we got going on here. Yeah. Final scenes. I'm just kind of rounding up uh, uh, these as well, sort of compressing them in some places. And I've saved the best for last. All of the um, the yacht stuff will be at the end here. Later after dinner, Lucia thanks Albie and Dominic talks with his ex-wife. I don't know what their legal status is. But they have a little. No, I don't think they're ex-wives. I think that uh, she's threatening divorce okay. here. Separation, if that's a, a, a de- probably a not even term. legal at this point. Right, right. Back in the room, Harper is worried about their future, and Ethan finally makes a move. And in the process of having hot makeup sex, they break the testa di moro. They break the curse. Yeah, I think that was very intentional. There. Yeah, I think that was. Uh, he got stopped for murdering Cameron. And he dealt with his jealousy, and now they can have sex. And I don't know if he dealt with his jealousy in a very healthy way, but he certainly got past it in some way. Yeah, it's resolved in so, in some fashion. And um, yeah, they've got some they they whatever <laughs> whatever effed up situation situations that Cameron and Daphne put them through. They end up a little bit more like Cameron and Daphne than they started out. And that seems to be healthy for them, for their relationship. <laughs> Which is insane. Yes. Like, that's an insane place to leave it. Right. It's, oh, they both probably cheated on each other at least a little. Yeah. And they're much better for it. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> I like, I want to dig into this more. I want to read some more of the, the interviews and, and do some more stuff. And dear listeners, please send in your uh, observations about this so that we can talk about them on our, our season wrap up pod. Because I think there's some really interesting stuff here that Mike is messing with in terms of uh, society, societal norms, relationships, um, and this kind of stuff. So we'd love to hear your takes. Anyway, um, Jack pulls up to a deserted area and stops for a smoke. He tells Portia to get out and to get to the airport, forget about everything that was happened, uh, that's happened, not to go back to the hotel. And as he drives off, he tosses her phone out the window. <laughs> Could he not have tossed the phone onto the grass or something? Right, exactly. Dude, you cracked my screen. I'm still yeah, on contract on How did that phone survive? My phone has... I've cracked a phone on way less. I de- definitely those case bumper things like are an absolute must. Um, it had saved my yeah, phone multiple yeah. times. Yeah. There was a time where I had one of those curved screen phones, and boy, was that a mistake. Oh, really? Because I, I just would... I broke it twice, oh, I think, and then I just gave up and let it be broken. Right. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think he was instructed to bring her back, but he gave her an escape. Um, and he, interesting because, like, if he was a rent boy, if he had been being used and abused, and then he's got a, whatever his feelings are for Portia, about Portia, he doesn't, he can't go through with uh, being complicit in her murder. I think he's repulsed by her, to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> At this point, I yeah. think that... Uh, Is he repulsed by her or by what he ha- how he has to relate to her because of what he knows is going to... What her demise No, I be. think he's repulsed by her. Just by as a person. The way that he talks to her uh-huh. when he's drunk. Remember, he called her a slag, right? Right. 
Well, uh, and, I'm, and I'm hold on to that, for that one. So. I know, but I'm still so let's on let's to it. let's just push that to the side. All but right. even as, 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 with that aside, the way he's talking to her when he's drunk on the bed, yes, and he's just like, "You complain all day, and your life is fine." Right. I think that he's just really disgusted by the way that she lives and the, her outlook on life. I think they're they're disgusted with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, at that point, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. They had a fun they had a fun couple of uh, nights. And now the the romance is off. That one should have been a one night stand. Yeah. <laughs> and great place to end the scene too in this creepy, deserted part of the airport town kind of stuff. Like I thought, I was like, ooh, like is, is, is Portia going to get off here? Like I was really nervous for a minute. Yeah, me too. And I, I, I do think that that was the plan. Not that Jack would do it, but at least he would be involved yeah. in making that happen. I agree with you on that. All right, dinner on the yacht concludes, and an increasingly nervous Tanya makes a break for it when they tell her it's time for her to go. She grabs Niccolo's murder bag, locks herself in a room. Finding the gun, she proceeds to murder almost everyone on board. She meets her tragic comic ending. It's a very Tanya Christmas here. (laughs) It was, like Mike White said in the interview post-credits, this was the most Tanya way for her to die, Absolutely. Absolutely. I was not expecting it. I couldn't believe it as it was happening. I was still in shock after it. And I was so satisfied with it. It was a really well-landed uh, ending for, for this character. And people are just talking about how everyone's shouting at her to take off her shoes. <laughs> and she just keeps them door. on. Ladder. And then just hits her head and goes underwater. Did she hit her head or her back? I couldn't I, tell. I couldn't tell. I just, there was a thunk. And I don't know how they did the stunt and like getting the camera work, but they definitely put in an audible uh, in there to give us the indication that yeah. she hit the boat. Yeah. So she got knocked out at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's underwater. So she can't. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good. And uh, I do think it was a good ending for Tanya. I think Mike White said in that post credits interview, I didn't want to kill off Tanya, mm-hmm. but I thought that that was the right ending for her character. And I loved hearing that. Yeah. yeah. Because it was like, they weren't going to just bank on Jennifer Coolidge's name for the next season. They said, no, this character has lived its arc. Yeah. And, and we're going to let this character go. I mean, I, 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 there might have been a, f- a handful of folks out there who had picked Tanya as, as to have been the, you know, the person who ended up in the, wa- the, the body in the water. Um, I certainly was not one of them. I I was squarely in the zone of Tanya has plot armor. She's going to be the through line for all future episodes. And I was delightfully surprised. Absolutely, utterly delighted. Something that I want to talk about on the season wrap, and I want people to write in on this too. Uh Who is going to be the thread for next season? Yeah. Are they going to bring in a character next season? Because in that Mike White interview, he says, will Greg get away with it? Maybe you'll just have to find out. Right. Exactly. And it's a, it's a good thing, but you know, who knows? I mean, you know, he could show up at the next location and, uh, um, be inspired by a different story and I'd be fine with it. Yeah. I will say quick thinking on Tanya's hand, uh, with the grabbing the bag and grabbing the gun. Yes. Uh, again, she's way smarter than you give her credit for. She's just a klutz. So we just overlook it. And I love that they made the choice to keep the camera on her as she's going through with the gun and firing the gun. The the panic, the disgust, the horror, the I can't believe that what I just did, all of it. I, I think if, if the camera had been pointed the other way, it would have 
fallen into something conventional and less special. Um, yeah. And that we stayed no, this about with her. Tanya. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that we stayed with her um, was a brilliant uh, uh, editorial choice. And, and I'm so... Like, to, to be with her as she's, like, pu- pushing her way through this scenario with all her emotion and fear and terror and everything, but yet she's still able to act and act in a kind of decisive manner, in an effective manner, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. That was a crazy scene. And what's the one thing she has to ask Quentin before she Yeah, goes? right, yeah, and she doesn't get an answer. Brilliant, Right. love it. Like, that's all she wants to know. Not, did he hire you guys to kill me? Mm-hmm. Is he cheating on me? Yeah, <laughs> so good, so good, so good. Um, at least one guy gets away. I think it was, did I say Hugo and the I captain? Think it's Hugo, yeah. yeah. And then the captain also got away. And then there's this question. Some people are are running around. I know you kind of already answered it. Was wh- whether Greg was on the boat or not? Um, write in if you've got a theory. Um, I'm not sure where I'm at that because I've I'm, I'm still processing the episode. But I don't know. I I was expecting Greg to, like I said earlier, I was expecting Greg to be on the boat and to pop out. It. So I think if anything, he was back at the White Lotus. Okay. He had to be around, floating around somewhere, not floating, uh, um, hovering around somewhere or nearby Maybe. to be able to come in to, they would have had to get in touch with him anyway to identify her body. And then he'd be the grieving uh, spouse. Or is he saying, I'm in America. Oh my God, my wife said, I'll fly over there real quick. Right. Because I haven't been anywhere near this. So how would I know how she died? He would have to be out of the country and the immigration stamps, you know, to on his passport and, you know, the record right. checks and all of that. That would have right. all had to check out uh, right. for their story to hold up. So I still think the murder plot was a dumb idea. I mean, I loved it for the show. Don't get me wrong about that. I just think from a, like a blackmail plot, I think would have been more effective than a um a murder plot yeah but it sure was fun to watch absolutely absolutely bravo shoot out and our madam butterfly like such a great (laughs) oh oh i know what i wanted to say like both greg and quentin are like well we just wanted to give you the best send off that we could i wanted to give you a perfect day before i had to leave like so everybody's playing with this little doll tanya and we do love you and we do care for you but that doesn't mean that we're not going to murder you and steal all your money (laughs) <laughs> well, they're polite murderers, you're right. It's, right. Uh, yeah, they they have manners, yeah, come on. It's, exactly. They bring her to the opera first. <laughs> Such a great arc. I am, yeah, uh, just chuffed. Absolutely chuffed with this season. Well, rest in peace, Tanya. Poor we'll one remember out. you. Yep, I'm going to have a, a spritz for, uh, in your honor. All right, ending scenes. Uh, Lucia sneaks out, and Albi realizes that he's been played. I do think that Lucia looked on him with admiration yes. at the end. She thought this was a kind man. Yeah. I don't think she was super attracted to him in the end, but she was very much admiring him. Yeah, agreed. Uh, both can be true. She could con him and uh, enjoy his company. They recreate the scene where Daphne finds Tanya in the water. Oh, I, wanted, I know something I wanted to say earlier. Um, for me, I knew that Cameron was safe because when I was doing some image analysis um, and found Quentin's boat... I had seen that um, Daphne was standing under one of the umbrellas in a sort of a casual standing pose. And if the body in the body bag had been Cameron, I think I, you know, she would have been differently posed. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But we see all that happen, re-happen here. At the airport, the DeGrassos ogle a passing woman. So what have they learned? Where have they come? Where have they gone? I'm not sure with the DeGrassos. 
this is the reason why I love this show, is that Mike White did not have anyone learn anything here. <laughs> Instead, Mike White said, these are three of the same men in yes. different generations. Yes. And they all deal with their misogyny in different ways, but they all are misogynistic mm-hmm. womanizers. Right. Uh, and Albie's got game now. Uh, he's been trained <laughs> by a very, it's true. Um, very skilled uh, sex worker. Um, the f- Certainly. Foursome blissfully await their flight. Um, yeah. So uh, Cameron and Daphne, a little bit of Cameron and Daphne have rubbed off on Ethan and Harper. I do think that Ethan and Harper have a brighter future than she did bef- than Absolutely. they did before this, Absolutely. which is insane to me. Yeah. Then Portia and Albie chat, and Albie tells her about the bodies. They exchange numbers. So Portia knows that her boss is dead there. Yeah, absolutely. She's like, "Oh, they they did it." But hey, can I get your can I get your digits while <laughs> while I'm processing the death yeah. of my boss <laughs> and 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 just narrowly Life escaped is for the living myself. That's right. Yeah, there you go. There's a good lesson. There's a good lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that they're both morons. Yeah, <laughs> I think that I agree. With they that. both wanted something special and exotic in life and once they got it they were like oh actually boring is nice boring is very nice we we aren't scared with boring (laughs) and in a final scene mia and lucia win they were finally in outfits that i didn't think were horrendous (laughs) i mean lucia was fine the whole season but mia was wearing some weird stuff this season (laughs) her green eyeshadow when she came in to see valentina uh, in this episode was a bit much for me (laughs) it was a bit much yeah i we didn't even talk about the uh the whole oh well lucia and i will take you out we'll we'll club and, and you'll find an actual lesbian girlfriend i just love this idea of valentina going out clubbing with these two yeah for sure we've come a long way from these are two fast sluts yep (laughs) i'm glad you remember that line because i didn't but i do i do love the fact that they started off as adversaries and and ended up friends here (laughs) yep yep that's the arc i'm here for are you um are you aware of or have you ever seen laverne and shirley i am aware of it i haven't seen it okay I watched a lot of it because uh, it was just all, some of the stuff that they would force feed us uh, back in the day. Um, but I just I think it was a sweet homage that Mike White and he said in interviews that he sort of based their their characters and friendship on on those two sort of iconic uh, television icons of, of Laverne and Shirley. And so it was just fun to see them traipsing down the street with this sort of newfound freedom and then greeting their friend, uh, their uh, their fake pimp. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Alessio. Alessio, that's right. Who is working yeah. out in front of a hotel right there. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh I we we all knew that that was a fake pimp. Yeah. That yeah. was not a 100%. real guy. Yeah. That was I mean he's a real guy, but he's not he's not the the guy. He played a very good fake pimp though. I he was very believable. Yeah. No, he was good. Acting. Acting, ladies and gentlemen. Acting. It's true. It's true. Good job, Alessio. You uh, I don't know if you got paid from this, but you deserve to be. Okay, David, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we will check in with the Deadpool one last time and hear from our chief Italian correspondent, Marta. And we're back, and we're here for one last visit to the Deadpool. We're going to talk about how you and I both failed miserably. <laughs> Absolutely. 
No internet points to be awarded here. No Greg. Uh, As I said before, I really thought he was going to show up and uh, on the boat, but he did not. Um, Mia did not tragically die. Uh, She came out uh, very on top. And they subverted the trope of uh, that they presented earlier, which was all whores are punished. Yes, that is a very good point. Not the case in this. They came out right on top. Yep. And um, and on the wiser for it, right? Like actually achieving their goals. Yeah, yeah. I will claim some points about the yacht, uh, and that I was partially right about that. That there was going to be like a multiple death event, partly intentional and partially accidental. Quite, but not quite. I mean, there were certainly some murders, and then there yep. was a accidental suicide. I guess is that what you call it. I guess I would just say accidental death. I think suicide needs intent there. Okay, got it. So there was an accident and some murder. So I was right about that. So uh, I think maybe it's no points awarded, though. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You, you take some internet points. I've got plenty okay. here. here I'll, All right. I'll just uh, throw you a wad over the internet. <laughs> too kind, sir. Too kind. Go get yourself something nice. I'll go shopping. I'll go shopping yeah. on, the, on the plaza. <laughs> At the White Lotus. That's right. Yeah, I failed, too. I mean, I had Ethan, Portia, and Greg. No on any of those. Uh, Ethan's fine. Porsche's fine. Greg's fine. They're all better than they were at the start of the series, actually. So maybe not Porsche. I guess she's about in the same place, except she's now unemployed. I want in the season wrap, I want to talk about um, this idea of the murder plot as a device for the show. And was it, was it successful? Was it not successful? Et cetera, et cetera. Because I think it, it did some things for the show um, that um, maybe the show wouldn't have been as successful without having had the murder plot. I think that it was good this time and it was good last time. I think that it is a tired thing now and they uh-huh. should not bring it back for season three. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk that through when we make a note. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk that through on the season, um, season wrap. I also want to talk about where we might be going next because I think that'll be a fun topic. Okay. Chief Italian correspondent beeping in. Uh, Marta has written in. David, would you like to enlighten us what she has to say? Sure. She says, hi, guys. I finished watching the episode a couple of hours ago. She wrote in yesterday from relative to when we're recording this. And I still haven't processed it entirely. I definitely wasn't expecting Tanya to die. And I'm not sure I liked the way she did. Okay, totally understandable. I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on this. You've got him. Um, there was a moment when I was sure Daphne was going to kill Ethan. <laughs> that I did not have a thought of, Marta, but that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a hot take. The whole scene when the two of them are walking to Isola Bella sent shivers down my spine. What's more, during that scene, we hear for the third time, January Prayer by DeAndre. That's the song about the man who committed suicide. I guess I read too much into those lyrics. I don't know, uh, Marta, I don't think you should feel bad about it because I don't know that Mike White was mapping things one-to-one, but he was also throwing a lot of false leads out into the storyline, specifically to, I think, excite and to engage our attention. He's seasoned in the pot of soup here. You know, he's, he's thrown in exactly. a dash of garlic. That's right. He's thrown in a dash of pepper. He's got it. He, she carries on. There were a couple of interesting songs in this episode. After Ethan and Cameron's fight, we hear Bella Senza Anemia. Oh, gosh, I butchered that. Beauty Without a Soul by Ricardo Co. 
Chiante? Cociante? It's whatever uh, you want it to be. It's the end it, of the season. No one's going to fight you now. <laughs> it's basically a one-sided monologue involving a couple on the verge of a breakup. The singer is imagining her with her future lover. And now sit on that chair for a long time now. I wanted to tell you this. And when he's in bed with you, he will ask for more and you'll give in to him because that is what you do. So that's an interesting lyric there. So I think spot on on that one, um, Marta. During, and then she carries on, during and after Tanya's death scene, we hear, oh, mio, uh, babino caro, babino caro, oh, my dear papa, from Puccini's opera, Gianni Sacchi, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. Gianni Schicci. Thank you. It's sung by Loretta, who begs her father to let her marry the love of her life. Oh, my dear Papa, I like him. He is so handsome. I want to go to Porta Rosa to buy the ring. Yes, yes, I want to go there. And if my love were in vain, I would go to Porto Vecchio, Vecchio and throw myself in the Arno. I am pining. I am tormented. Oh, God, I would want to die. Father, have pity, have pity. Father, have pity, have pity. Well, that's not great. No. Um... And again, I think just more tragic music for our tragic heroine, right? Yeah, yeah. Just really, I mean, the, the Puccini thing, they're just up. bringing that back again and again. That's right. Uh, she concludes, on the whole, I've enjoyed the series a lot and I've enjoyed writing to you about it. Yes, and we have enjoyed getting your emails. So thank you, Marta. She says, I will surely be there for season three. Absolutely. We look forward to having your input. Uh, she says, for now, arrivederci, Marta. Arrivederci. P.S. I really hope you get to do a cover of The Wheel of Time after watching season one. I started reading the books. Hey, John, you converted a fan. Oh, that's um, great. And I'm currently finishing book four. Oh, where she at? Book four is the best one. Oh, there you go, Marta. Well, no, book six is the best one, but book four is two. Pretty good there. All right. So now that you have at least one listener from Italy, Marta, uh, thank you so very much for all of your input over the season. We've really enjoyed having your um translation services uh at our beck and call and it's been great to have your perspective on it so it's been a lot of fun having you uh write into us so we look forward to future collaborations so don't be shy thank you so much marta hope we do see you on the wheel of time and uh on the white lotus season three i don't think the italian translations will be uh a thing again but <laughs> i think that you will have a lot of fun takes on the plot itself all right, John, we are running really long on this podcast, and so we're going to push the feedback that we've gotten so far to our season wrap. So Theo L to uh, Kazia M and Emily B, we've, all, we've gotten all of your emails. They've all been transcribed into the notes. We're definitely going to get to those. You guys will be on the top of the pile, and uh, we will uh, touch base on those on the season fin finale, uh, season wrap-up podcast. Emily B., a special note to you. Thank you so much for your email, and we'll definitely read it when we get on there. But it was a very nice email that you sent us, and I'm glad you're doing yeah, well. Yeah, thank you so much. Very meaningful. Thank you. All right, first of all, we need to do a Patreon shout-out because we have three tiers on our Patreon where we do a $3 Lorehound uh, feed where you get you know ad-free and early podcasts and second breakfast. Then for the Lore Fiends at $5, we give them the theme music too. $10, we just put that there in case somebody really, really liked us and they really, <laughs> really wanted to support us more. I didn't think anybody was going to take it, but apparently we have three people who are 
willing to do that. So thank you so much to Samarshan, uh, Mark H, a convert who uh, was in a lower tier but came up to the top tier, and Michael G, brand new too. So thank you so much to all three of you and to all of our patrons. I mean, it, it's just so great to see that people are liking what we're doing, and it's we're so grateful that you help us do this more. Yeah, it really means a lot to us and gives us a lot of um, energy to um, put all the effort that we put into making what we hope are quality podcasts. And stupid jokes, too. <laughs> and a lot of stupid jokes. Um, okay, quick program reminder. For those who are Bald Move listeners, our parent network, we've got Bald Move Christmas currently happening. Um we, on Wednesday night this week, uh, later the same day that this podcast is going to come out, we will have the second and final of our two Christmas live streams. Jim and Aaron are going to play some games. Uh, we did some ranking last week. We do an on-air gifts exchange. We do a whole Secret Santa thing using the Elfster, Elfster website. And uh, we bring people on air and they open the gifts uh, that they got from their Santa. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's just part of a way for our, our community, our, our larger community, to come together and, and have a little fun during the holiday season. Jim and Aaron are going to be on break, and they'll be back in January with day one coverage of The Last of Us. So that should be a good one. We're fingers crossed that that's going to be a good show. I'm looking forward to that so much. I loved that game. So yes, I, I really did. hope it's going to be great. I think we'll, we'll definitely have to talk about it on our second breakfast uh, Patreon yeah, podcast. Definitely. Over on Electric Bookaloo, Anthony continues his march forward through the clash of kings um you can find that on the hot d feed and um on cocoons of horror steve and anthony will escape from la and i started to listen to that podcast a little bit before we jumped on the recording tonight it's pretty funny it's a great film pretty hilarious so if you like uh, a couple of middle-aged guys um poking fun at old horror and sci-fi movies check out cocoons of horror they have a good time they do have a good time, and I'm looking for. I'm hope, fingers crossed, I might pop over there one of these days. John, what do we have for the rest of the Lorehounds in December? We've got a lot of stuff, actually. Again, we did say that we were going to take a break, and then we scheduled too many things, so here they are. Uh, next week on Monday, we have the premiere of our new podcast, MC Universe, where David and his new co-host on that show, Jean, not me, not John, but Jean, is going to be, uh, they're going to be talking about Black Panther and the end of Phase 4, the beginning of Phase 5 of the MCU. I'm really looking forward to hearing that, and I hope you'll join us for that. Then we have, on Wednesday, the White Lotus season wrap-up, so we're going to talk about the season as a whole our hopes and dreams for next season. We're going to take all the listener feedback and stack that up. And we'll hopefully be able to have a really interesting conversation now that we don't have to worry about a scene by scene breakdown. Then on Christmas Day, on December 25th, we're going to have Second Breakfast come out for the public listeners. And that's something that's usually a Patreon exclusive benefit. But this Christmas, we wanted to just give it out as a present and we'll have some fun with it. We're going to be talking about our top 10 TV shows of the year. So I think that'll be a fun one. It's been a great year too. We had some bumper, we had a bumper crop with some excellent television shows. I know it was tough to make my list. Yeah. Uh, lastly, we've got two other podcasts. We have Tales of the Jedi on December 28th. That's a Star Wars spinoff show. It's a mini series. It's like 90 minutes total. So you could catch up with that quick. And uh, it's, it's basically the, the length of the White Lotus finale. If you want to catch <laughs> up on that and listen That's to right. our podcast quick. And last one is Silmarillion Stories. We're reading the Valaquenta, which is the second story in the Silmarillion. There's still time to catch up. We've only done one so far. Uh, that's coming out New Year's Eve, and we hope you'll join us. 
Wow, that's a lot. I'm exhausted just listening to all that. <laughs> so, Me too. Yeah, <laughs> and you've got to edit it all. Um, well, we'll be here. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us this season. Uh, we hope that you've had a great time. We have had a great time. We definitely are looking forward to season three. Please, please, please do send us your feedback for the season wrap-up. Um, we want our mailbags full because there's a lot of interesting topics to deconstruct, um, both from television production and what this season means for TV overall, as well as Mike White and his career, um, and even just getting into the stories, you know, the, the whole Tanya McQuad of it all and, and all of our main characters and, and side characters, uh, a lot of fun stuff to break down. Send in your questions about Tanya McQuad for next week at <laughs> whitelotusatthelorehounds.com. You're a silly man. Thanks, everyone. The White Lotus Podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds or by email at whitelotusatthelorehounds.com. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>